Welcome back to another episode of the Busby Bay Podcast. I'm your host, Colin Dams, joined by Nathan Heinschel and Polly Questel. And uh, if I sound a bit congested, it's because I am. And if Nathan sounds like a writer, it's because he wrote. And it's because he's wearing glasses now. <laughs> I, I, uh, so this is maybe a reference that's going to go over Colin's head, but, you know, Colin, are you going to break out your rendition of Smelly Cat now that you got your uh, sick voice? Oh, there it is. There's no way Colin got that. No, no. chance. When you say sick boy, do you mean like in train spotting? No, he, 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 it's a it's a friend's joke. It's a friend's reference. Uh-huh. It's fine. It's not even a good show, but I thought it was a decent reference since you're, you're complaining about being sick. But I didn't expect yeah. you to know that considering <laughs> – uh, the group chat that we had the other night as I was rewatching The Matrix for the thousandth time <laughs> and you uh, dropped the truth bomb on me that you thought the movie was all right at best. Yeah, you one know, the, it, one of the most important it, films to come out in the last 30 years. Well, like, that's the thing, you know, I didn't see it when it came out. I was I was four or five years old. Um, I didn't see it until I was like 14, I think. And by then it was aged. Um, and you know, like friends, uh, I grew up in a different time where we had, um, more options on television than networks that comes and, uh, more options in the movie theater than slow-mo twisty flip guys. I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll expand upon this on our upcoming movie podcast. Cause like, I mean, I saw I was able to see Aliens, you know, when I was 16 years old, which would have been 30 years after it had come out, and it looked just fine. And that movie came uh, out. In the sometimes movies yeah. age. Yeah, but sometimes, like, look, The Fast and the Furious is a very has aged terribly, and yet still an enjoyable movie. Uh, they yeah, use right floppy discs in that movie. Um, but like, go back I mean, and watch. Go back and watch the original Star Wars. Wallets garbage, movie. garbage movie. The original Star Wars, A New Hope, garbage movie. You, you like the remake Force Awakens a lot better? Uh, kind of. I mean, look, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, but like every time, every time A New Hope is on TV and I turn it on, I just, I, 15 minutes. If I make it 15 minutes, I'm just, I have to shut it off because I'm just like, this is terrible. I just, I just right, love so, the Mark Hamill voice for like Luke whenever he says any line of dialogue. He's a whiny teenager in that movie. Just as anyway, a like I'm never gonna get out of here. <laughs> all right. So anyway, for those still listening for awful Manchester United content, we'll get to that now. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say we should probably get to Manchester United at some point. If anyone hasn't tuned out by now, thank you for but sticking around. Like they're not around. fun either. We're just trying to talk about things with better vibes than Manchester. <laughs> I would rather watch uh, the Matrix than that Aston Villa match again. I, re- I really think you need to give it another chance, Colin. That movie is a seminal classic. The Aston Villa match? Yeah, I mean, the Aston Villa match, it wasn't that bad in terms of, like, an entertainment factor. Uh, like, we've we've played very much more boring games. So there was there was excitement because it was, it was a back-and-forthy, but, yeah, we were not good. Yeah. Um, one of the winners... Uh, the important thing, though, is we go through to the next round of the FA Cup and, you know, any opportunity to make some trophy ribbons go whoosh uh, should help restore some of the vibes this season. Um, and we have a much easier draw in the next round. Um, well, the cynical person will say now we can lose to Middlesbrough. <laughs> That's true. 
Um, but I, you know, I, th- I think one of our forwards has a pretty good record against Middlesbrough. So, because the last time he was at Manchester United, Middlesbrough were actually in the Premier League. Is that when he hit one of his three free kicks? Uh, no, I mean, in 2008, they actually, they played Middlesbrough at the end of the season and drew 2-2, like, in, and famously, like, if, if you were to ask someone, like, what the preferred starting, I remember this being a conversation on Twitter, like, probably during the COVID lockdown, if you were to ask somebody, like, what their prefer, what the preferred, um, 2007 2008 United 11 was they would say it was Vandersar, Evra, Vidic, Ferdinand, West Brown, and then uh, Skulls and Carrick in midfield, Ronaldo and Giggs, and then Rooney and Tevez up top. And that 11 actually never played together as an 11, but in that Middlesbrough game, they got the 10 outfield players. The only time they got the 10 outfield players on the pitch and Thomas Kuchak in net, and they drew 2-2. Yeah, it was uh, Rooney saving the vibes that day in the title race. Um, yeah, they, they almost threw away the title that year. Best yeah. team, probably the, the, First of all, definitely the best team in the Sir Alex Ferguson era, and they almost threw away the title. Yeah. Some so. of the vibes were weird back then. No, the, the vibes, vibes were great. great back the then. vibes were great. Like, um, yes, all right, that yeah. was a bad Sunday in April, but the vibes were also. I think that game was like sandwiched. I think that was the match that was between the two Barcelona matches, or something, or maybe. But also, um, the sure. FA Cup was like not as. I don't think it was spaced out in the same way back then as it is now. So like, we played the quarterfinal, which was like a grueling, like awful, like really disappointing game that took a lot out of the team and like United trying to, trying to win the champions league and premier league still that season. It just like really crowded their fixture list down the end of the year. And they also had a pretty rough, like run to the end of the premier league. I think they played Chelsea in like their last four games. They lost, lost to Chelsea. Chelsea. Uh, they also played no. Arsenal. No, they, yep. they, drew yeah, they, they won against Arsenal. That was the Owen Hargers free kick. Yeah, they lost to uh, Chelsea because Rooney like equalized and then he pulled up with his hamstring. I think he missed a couple of games after that. Yeah, they like they basically went like win, draw, win, draw. They weren't good at the end of the season, but also like you can look at it. And if you if you do go back and look at it now, you could see that it this was like a Fergie kind of reining the team in. Um to, to get every ounce of energy at them. Like they weren't playing like earlier on in the season, they were just running over teams. And this was like a uh, Fergie, like reining them back down and being like, we're going to hunker down defensively uh, like and hit teams on the counterattack and win one or two nil. And that's it. Like, we're not going to, they, they very much did not go out there and play the attacking football that that team is famous for, for the final, yeah. like six weeks of the season, as they conserved energy to beat, uh, Roma, Barcelona and Chelsea in the final, as well as win the Premier League. And I, probably their most attacking game was that FA Cup game where they absolutely battered Port- Portsmouth and David James stood on his head and they somehow lost. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's Nathan's, uh, 
history lesson of the 0708 Manchester United team this week. Meanwhile, this current Manchester United team is not doing either of those two things that that Ferguson team were doing, where it was either blowing teams out of the water or hunkering down and hitting on the counterattack successfully. So Yeah. I, I will say, uh, and Nathan, we're going to transition into your article uh, discussing, you know, the main points of it in a second here. But um, one of the things that was pointed out during the Villa match and that has sort of been the case in all of Ranić's matches thus far has been they don't necessarily look better organized and we're still defending, you know, chaotically at times, but their defensive record has definitely improved. And, you know... A handful of clean sheets are really good. It's it's really coming down to executing in the final third, you know, like getting the pressing system going and controlling in possession, keeping possession, not making silly mistakes on the ball. And that's kind of where a lot of the vibes problems around certain players come in at this point. Um, There's no denying that the defensive record has gotten good. There's a caveat there. Um Obviously, it's it's gotten good. They've they've been keeping a lot more clean sheets. Some of that is because of David Gea. They're also playing poopy teams right now. Their underlying numbers have very much gone gotten much better. Like they've gone from conceding like an xG of over one to like under to like point eight or something like that. It's very it's actually it's pretty good. But as Nathan said, they have played three teams in the relegation zone. Um, who else? They they played Wolves. They lost. Yeah, and then Villa, a team that was in the relegation zone at one point. Villa, so they played Villa, and that was by far their worst defensive performance under Ragnick. Uh, according to Opta, they conceded an XG of like 1.6, which is right back. VAR coming coming through for us. Once yeah, again. I mean, they put the ball in the net twice. <laughs> uh, Yo, VAR went burr the other night. I did appreciate that. And and like if you, if you just look at the shot chart, it's it's like United outshot them like 1913 I think it's or something like that 1916 14 whatever it was 13 of, 13 of United's 19 shots came from outside the box and like Villas came if not inside the box very centrally at the top of the box and it was like yeah like Villa 100% created the it reminded me a lot of the West Ham match in the League Cup like United were the better team that night and they lost. Because of an early goal and they never got it back. And Aston Villa were the better team on Monday and they lost because of an early goal that they never got back. Not just any goal. A McFred goal. Yeah. Yeah, the vibes on that goal were pretty good. Um, It definitely felt like we were going to blow them out. Like, it kind of felt like the beginning of the Burnley match, um, which led to three first half goals. And then everything just kind of dissipated in terms of, you know, offensive production. Um. Yeah, I was gonna say something about maybe Jaden Sancho would have helped, but he had muscular problems that day. So it's. Uh, it, I mean, the the big statement is they look. They won. They went to the next round of the cup. Like my my takeaway from the match was well, in 2016, United played like absolute crap against Sheffield United and won the game on a dodgy penalty. And this was like Sheffield when they were in the championship, won the game on like a dodgy penalty, and they went on to win the FA Cup. So like that was, that as, was Wayne Rooney hitting that one, right? Yeah, that was like late mm-hmm. in the game. Yeah, like a, it, it did not deserve to win that game at all. And um, as as it goes, like 
Okay. Um, you, as Colin said, it's just about getting to the next round of the cup. Like, who cares how you do? Yeah. Not Rooney also scored a banger also. against. Uh, Rooney also scored a banger against Darby County in the fourth round that year too. By the way, if, if, if anyone wants to go look up a late Wayne Rooney highlights. Um, no, that's a good one. Bear in mind, you're looking up Van Gaal's, Van Gaal's United highlights. Yeah. So it's going to be like... They were known years. as lights then. I'm pretty sure like the next next game out, they like got battered by Newcastle. Uh, it was 3-3. Oh, okay. Rudy also scored a banger in that game, actually. <laughs> I think Memphis did, too. Anyway. Stage Rooney still had, it, had something in his bag, bro. He definitely did. Um, so current Manchester United. Uh, Nathan wrote this week about how I guess I would summarize as like as the vibes are very bad right now and there's a lot of speculation around you know everything to do with the squad and the manager Nathan pointing out that you know it kind of feels at times like Ranick is set up to fail um just because of the lack of structure, you know, the lack of planning in terms of previous managers to come in and try and do these things. Um, Nathan, you want me to let you talk about it now? Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of what you said, the the vibes is the thing that I'm most interested in, uh, since I don't have time to become a tactical analysis or analyst, excuse me, like, a, like Mr. Questel over here. So I was really just kind of looking at everything surrounding United. Um, and I had a free moment to actually sit down and, and use my my newly uh, renewed chorus access and uh, started putting pen to paper, as they say. Um, but, yeah, I just just looking at it and seeing the particular stories that were coming out, um, we've found ourselves in this rut all of a sudden where you had pieces coming out suggesting that upwards of double digit players are no longer happy or they no longer want to be a part of the team, period. And they want out. Um and you were starting to, after that Wolves match, where United particularly did not look great, um, you were running into this problem where all of a sudden people were starting to outwardly question if Ralph Rangnick was the guy. And we're only two months out from him being appointed and him making his joke in the press conference that, you know, if he did well for six months, he'd want to suggest that he become the permanent manager when he takes on his advisory role. And um so the I think the problem that we ran into and or we're starting to see the problems bubble to the surface of Rangnick's appointment was all based around the fact that we waited way too long to appoint him. Um, the writing was on the wall for Ollie. We decided instead to keep him for an entire international break and he got trotted out. Team didn't look good. He got fired. Then all of a sudden it was like, oh, shoot, uh, we've got to get a real interim manager to get us to when I guess we can hire Pochettino in the summer, if that's still the case, or if it's Eric Ten Hag, or if it's a name that we haven't even thought of. Um, so we need to find that interim manager, but it's not like they could be hired overnight. So, hey, Michael Carrick, why don't you um, manage two matches as interim interim manager? To be fair, um, Ali Gunnar Solskjaer got hired overnight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I mean, that was that was like an airdrop from, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson. I mean, that was that that one was weird um, in the situation that United were in, though. Either way, they, they, they pissed away two weeks of planning that they could have done. Um, and 
so then you're going into Ralph Rangnant coming in after Michael Carrick goes unbeaten for two games. It's like, okay, here you go. Um, no time to kind of like try and start implementing your system. Um, and by the way, we're going to play Arsenal and then we're going to go right into a Champions League match. And then we're going to go into a what was considered a softer schedule. Um, but what we're seeing is during December, there was the COVID outbreak, which is not something you could plan for necessarily, but it's something that you always have to be cognizant of. So all of a sudden, even though United gets two weeks off, they still can't train together because they have to quarantine away from each other. So we've just seen that all this time has gotten wasted where, you know, Rangnick really hasn't gotten a fair shake to try and make a run at, you know, turning United into anything other than just white knuckling potentially a Champions League place. You know, I, Maybe they pull they 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 rah rah together and they pull something crazy out of their butts and it's and they go on a Champions League run or they win the FA Cup or something and then you could grit your teeth and say the season had some semblance of success to it but I mean right now it just from the outside looking in the way that the stories that are coming out of the club the current position of what the team is doing and then what the team actually looks like out on the field I mean the vibes aren't great it looks like you know Rangnick was set up in some ways to fail. And what's frustrating about that is if you spoil it too much now in the next four or five months, people aren't even going to want Ralph Rangnick at, in his advisory role and then picking his successor and who's going to be like, you know, the next guy, in which case that's frustrating then too, because, you know, I think we all patted ourselves on the back two months ago saying like, wow, United actually did something good. They went and they got, a guy that everybody wanted. They got Rangnick, who is a tactician and he's got the plan and he's been the godfather of whatever, you know, German system. And so I just think that United, again, got in its own way and screwed something up. And that was what my vibes analysis was. I mean, you could tell that from the fact that, okay, so last week they lost to Wolves and all those stories came out. And you could just tell that they were kind of ready to go for when. We lost like, all right, I have this written, but now it's a good time like, for like I wrote a piece that I'm basically fin- I could have finished it today if I wanted to. But I was like, well, it's not the time. This won't play well today. It's not the time to release this. And then they waited for the loss and they release it. And then they go out and they, they beat Aston Villa. And yeah, it's not the best of performances, but whatever. Like it's a somewhat wrote eh, that was a pretty strong squad, actually. Um, and nothing like this week is arguably worse than last week in terms of like what's happened in the media and um i know like you we don't like to repeat content but it just feels like we're sitting here with the same issues that we've had literally last week and two weeks ago of like fans are just ridiculous and and it's it's and the media is feeding into that because that's the way journalism works these days a lot of people are independent and the only way to make money if you're independent is to have the follower count and the clicks and everything and the people that aren't independent well you need to provide value to your company and that's to get clicks and everything so they put out articles and they put out tweets that are designed to rile you up but yeah like losing sales and they're trying to take advantage of that and they're just whipping everybody into a frenzy and and people are just getting so mad and I guess it's something that I should expect because it like, you know, it's usually like the ones who scream loudest are not usually the smartest. Um, 
And there is, you know, how many millions of fans do we have? 10 million people, give or take. And like, what's what's one percent of 10 million? That's like 100,000 people. That's a lot of freaking people. And, you That's know, so rude of you to talk about Goldbridge like that. <laughs> It's it's when you, whatever the number is, it's even if even if it was the minority, and I don't I don't know if it is the minority, but even if it is a 50-50 split, like there's a lot of people on each side, and it's just people getting so mad and just whipping you, and and there's big accounts that you know the YouTube people who also rely on your clicks to get money, they're also designed they they design things to whip people into a frenzy, like they aren't like this on their own personal accounts and their own personal in real life if you were to talk to them on the street but on the internet where the, it's all about engagement and i think this week has just been way worse than last week yeah um and you know like we talked about at the start of the show or before the show started um you know some of these marcus rashford pieces have started all sorts of new talk about it but the the reactionary vibes around Manchester United for the last several years now have been really, really, really poorly suited for trying to address and unpack any sort of, you know, constructive issues or provide any sort of constructive criticism in terms of what are the been paths. Dead for a while. Yeah, what are the paths to move forward from this? Because you, you can go out and say, you know, the squad is shit and the play- Players don't care. Like, where does that leave you if your entire squad of players <laughs> are actually shit and don't care? Like, you're not going to think that two weeks from now if we win three games in a row. You know what I mean? Like, and just like we said last week, though, that was the claim was these players did this to Mourinho and they they did it to Ali and they'll do it again. And we listed it. It was like, oh, well, actually, a lot of the players that did this to Mourinho um, aren't here anymore. And most and the players that let down Ollie like have been brought in by Ollie. So as Colin just said, uh if you think like it's it's more of a modern footballer thing than like, oh, we just happen to pick players that you know, the 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 twenty five guys in our squad are amongst the thirty three footballers in Europe that don't care. And everybody else is like it, it's no, it's like a couple of guys here and there are the ones that really care. And most other players are, yeah, they're doing this for a paycheck and they want to win and they do care, but also like not at the level that you do. Probably actually care more than most of these people, (laughs) like way more than most of these people do. Well, yeah, to accuse them of not trying is very strong. Like these, these are athletes that they put in the work and everything, but like, guess what? They, they're at Carrington, like what? Four or five hours a day. They they say that you're not supposed to be training for more than 90 minutes. Like what do you expect them to be doing physical activity, running on a football pitch for four or five hours a day? Like these guys keep themselves in tip top shape where like drinking a bottle of soda might cause issues. Like would, would having some ketchup. Yeah, like would cause them to not perform at a peak level so they don't do it. But if they're at Carrington for five hours a day, that leaves 19 hours. 
that they're not there where and like people get mad that they like go out and have a life and it's like for some people yeah like when united lose on saturday you don't want to go into work on monday and it, and your monday does feel wrong and the the players feel that too but like also like you can't live like that and yeah like you're going to kick back and like watch a movie. And if someone tells a joke, you're going to laugh. And that's the way you have to do it. That's literally what they always say is when you suffer a bad loss, it's you got to forget it, get it out of your mind. You can't dwell on it. And then people get mad when they don't dwell on it. When they're like, Oh, you lost on Saturday. Why are you out to dinner and having fun Sunday night? And it's like, because they have a, like they're humans too. And they have a life. Because sometimes you make plans weeks in advance, even though you don't know how you're going to feel that day. (laughs) Yeah. Just think about the last time you had a bad day at work. Did you stop somewhere to go get something to eat to make you feel better? Like, I mean, it's all basic human knowledge. Like, they're just, this is what people do. And I don't know if you guys have heard, but soccer players or, excuse me, football players, they're also people. So. Yeah. It's um, yeah. Anyway, do it. This feels wanna... like a, a giant crusade that I've had this year now to like get people to just chill out. This has been like my internet persona forever. Has just been like, hey, internet, relax. Just chill. We're, out, we're getting mad about everything, and like you get mad about tweets that are designed to get you mad. Like, like you're really burning hours a day on Twitter when you're wasting what precious time we have in the simulation known as the matrix <laughs> before we're harvested to keep a, a machine army alive. I don't know. There's right, better but things like, to do. But all right. So having like, we need, we need to talk about Marcus Rashford though. Cause yeah, that's where um, the absolute garbage of the garbage came out. Yeah. So, um, there were a couple, did you say there were three poly? I know there that Ogden and Simon There were three Stone. big ones. Yeah. Um, were the the controversial quote ones. And a lot of people took the quotes about Solshire and kind of ran with it about how, you know, Marcus Rashford, when he did seek guidance and coaching and expertise from his manager, was, quote, told to, what was it, like? Stop moaning. Was, yeah, stop, stop moaning. moaning. That was it. And so the, the basic... Um, the gist of these articles is basically that Marcus Rashford has spent the last three years with no guidance and no coaching and no development. Um, yeah. Well, you had Mark Ogden, like basically, and uh, I, I texted you guys about this earlier this week, but like you can go back and listen to the show because I haven't worked on it since then, but you can go back and listen to two weeks ago. I talked about how I was working on this Marcus Rashford piece and his development and everything. And we, we talked about the headers and Sadio Mane. Like just go back and listen. It was at the end of the show. So this isn't new. So, and I, I, and then he didn't play well against Aston Villa. So obviously everybody was like, Oh, time to write what's wrong with Marcus Rashford pieces. I just didn't get mine out in time. So I'm mad, but I had this in the works two, two, three weeks ago. (laughs) Um, And Mark Ogden, who, is like actual garbage. And like, this isn't even the first, he might be worse than Luckhurst. Um, he actually put in his God, like thing that sources at the clubs have said that Rashford's off the field exploits 
of helping feed hungry children are taking away from his football and that he should stop doing that and focus on football, which is just vile. Yeah, I, I think I don't know if that was part of the stone piece as well, but there's somebody else who said that the club were kind of viewing Marcus Rashford in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like and uh, yeah, it was like uh, Keys had the best tweet about it, which was man works 16 hour days six days a week, goes to church on Sunday, is tired on Monday, so boss tells him, you probably shouldn't go to church. And it's like, huh, like, maybe, maybe, just maybe, the issue is more that Marcus Rashford is exhausted because he's appeared in, like, 200 games over the last two years right. and has been underdeveloped by the club, undercoached, etc. And has also this, played through injuries two seasons in a row for pretty long stretches as well. Right. And it, it, that was in the paragraph before they mentioned the hey, stick yeah. to football thing. And Brent said it right away. Like Brent in the Slack group was right away, like being like the fact that United even allowed Ogden to print that. But like, that's just that lets you know how far away Ogden is. And that shows you that he's unreliable because he has no contact with the club. And they just don't they there's nothing like there's nothing the club can do to stop him from doing that because they there's nothing they can offer him. There's there's no relationship. And Brent was like, you'll see United respond swiftly tomorrow morning. Like there'll be a piece in the athletic and et cetera. And that's exactly what happened. I woke up and boom, there's a piece from Laurie Whitwell and, and Carl Anka. Uh, just clear club response of what's going on with Rashford and it was very much down the middle but you could tell this this came from the club because like I am sorry to tell this to you people are like well Laurie Whitwell's great and he's not a PR spewing machine for the club and it's like part of the reason that he's great is because he does the club's PR for him like that's how you you don't get um the we can reveal the exclusive story as to how United signed Jaden Sancho 24 hours after it happened without having a relationship with the club and publishing the stuff that you want like you they they want you to publish this they say we'll give you a scoop later that's how journalism that's works. also that's also literally what sources are <laughs> yeah journalism is just politics it's you do i do you a favor and you'll pay me back down the line but then last evening like around this time when we're recording so we're recording this at 5:45 p.m eastern time is when this simon stone article came out that was just such a PR piece from Rashford's camp. Like it was so obvious that it came from Rashford that it, and part of like the thing is over the past week, like as fans have been just grasping for things to get mad at. And they've just been like, Oh, these players nowadays, like they don't want to take any blame and they're just, they're coddled and they're soft. And it's like, all right, you're being a little ridiculous. And there's more to it than that. And then this piece comes out that makes all those people who said those things sound exactly 100% right. Because all this piece was doing was absolving Marcus Rashford of blame for everything, which is ridiculous. And it, it's like, take a little bit of accountability here. Just a little. Some of this is... It was about, you know, why is Rashford struggling? And it's, oh, he played through all these injuries. And yes, there's there's the paragraph about um, 
how he how Ali Gunnar Solskjaer was uh, not much of a coach or didn't do much coaching, which was phrased in a way. It, it, the article was just phrased to throw Ali Gunnar Solskjaer completely under the bus and basically blame him for all the struggles that Marcus Rashford has. And Ali Gunnar Solskjaer is partially to blame here. He's not the only one to blame. He's not the only coach Marcus Rashford had. And Simon Stone worded things in a way designed to make Solskjaer look worse, designed to elicit reaction. We know that, like when it said Solskjaer doesn't do much coaching, all right, like we knew he wasn't the guy running the training sessions. That's, he was the manager and Kieran McKenna and Michael Carrick were running the training sessions. Then there was the, oh, Rashford, the shy Marcus Rashford finally went to Ali Gunnar Solskjaer to, to ask what he wanted from him. And then the next sentence was Rashford said that he felt his career had plateaued because he's being asked to play several different roles and he was told to stop money. Those are two different things. Like if I go to, if I go to my boss and say, I think my career has been, has plateaued because you're asking me to do so many different things and I can't get settled in one thing. That is not me asking. What do you want from me? We've heard, and actually Con, you can go into the drafts of that Rashford piece that I wrote two weeks ago. And it's there. Of Oliver Solskjaer spent an entire season talking about how he wanted his forwards to score more dirty goals and get to the right spots and break their nose to score a goal. And Anthony Martial scored a hat trick against Sheffield United. And in the interview after the game, he said, well, the boss is really going to like the second one because that was the one where I went to the net and got right in front and scored that goal. You can't tell me that he would have that Ali Gunnar Solskjaer was speaking publicly, like this is what I want my strikers to do, and then not relaying the same information privately or relaying different information privately. Because that's that's good advice of I need my strikers to be getting to the net. Like that's what any coach would want. Why would he be telling them differently privately? If Marcus Rashford didn't understand, that's on him to go to the coach and say, what do you, what do you want to do? But after that, it's... It's not on Solskjaer to develop that skill. I think people are, as, as Colin said, people are jumping on it and jumping on Solskjaer. And it's, it's first of all, what development did you do under Jose Mourinho? Not much. So he, as much as Solskjaer is to blame, so is Jose Mourinho. And, but also, the, everybody is now harping on like, well, the manager's job. The, he was the coach and it's his job to develop these skills and it's just it's not um like for a different piece that i was that i was writing i reached out to a first team coach to ask about skill development i did some journalism like an actual journalism and reached out to to professional first team coaches to see hopefully yeah hopefully someone would talk to me and answer my questions and i got a couple of them and they all said basically the same thing is at the professional level, the, the head coach is not is not teaching you skills. The head coach is worrying about tactics and plans, and perhaps some of the drills that you do in training coincide with some of the skills that you need to develop, and you can work on them there. But otherwise, it's on the player 
to put the work in himself. And that's what you have assistant coaches for. He's the player goes to the assistant coach. I need to work on this. And you devise plans with that assistant coach. The manager might say, um, the manager's job is to guide you. Be like, we need you to develop this area of the game, like of your game. You need to work on headers. You'll be a much better player if all of a sudden you're getting into the box and getting on the end of crosses or, um, you know, your awareness and your passing and sit him. You could sit him down with video, but the managers, if you say, hmm, you got to develop your headers, the manager's not going to be the one out there whipping crosses in for you to develop, for you to take extra headers after training. That would, that's inefficient. If you do that, like there's so much. It, when you when you read about Pep Guardiola, the amount of time that he spends watching games and and planning his tactics and stuff, you wouldn't have time to do that if he was out there with Jack Relish doing one on one sessions. Like, no, he's and Jack Relish isn't playing right now, but Relish has said, like, I know what the manager wants from me. He's made it clear. And yeah, Pep tells him what he wants. And then it's on Grealish to work with the assistant coaches. That's what you have assistant coaches for to work and and do that. And Grealish has to put in the work the same way that Rashford had to put in the work. And I don't think it's wrong to say or it's harsh to say that Marcus Rashford had to put in the work. And if he didn't work hard enough, that's part of the reason that he's in this position. Would you say that that's unfair? Sorry. Um, while you were finishing up, I got more notifications from a Daily Mail piece about right. Cristiano Ronaldo uh, saying that Cristiano Ronaldo is disappointed that more of his teammates don't stay behind after training or get there early before training to work on stuff individually. I mean, he really is just throwing everybody under the bus. Yeah, right. What a nerd. <laughs> I mean, he won five thousand doors. Surely he is not the problem. What an absolute jabroni. Yeah. Anyway, no, I, I don't think that it is unfair to say that Marcus Rashford needs to take some accountability here. I am also skeptical, and this is probably because I'm biased and I like Marcus Rashford and I'd like to. I like him too! <laughs> I like to give him the benefit of the doubt, but I, I'm not sure that he was totally involved in developing the mood of this piece. Um, just, you know, individually, but I do think that he was definitely one of you know this like you said it definitely it came from his camp it right. came from his camp and i don't think it's harsh to say like oh he hasn't worked hard enough because work is the work ethic is what separates you who's who's been the hardest working footballer in football for the last 15 years roy Keane. well he, he might have been before 15 was, years ago that was a, that was but a contact. it's it's cristiano ronaldo nobody works harder than cristiano ronaldo in the 1990s, no basketball player worked harder than Michael Jordan. And after that, no basketball player worked harder than Kobe Bryant. And since then, nobody works harder than LeBron James. That's the reason they are the best. It's like there's plenty of people in the sport that have the talent to be the best. You just – it's not just talent. It's talent and work. And Rashford hasn't developed more of his game the way that – Ronaldo did like when Ronaldo was that pacey winger and Sir Alex Ferguson definitely should get credit for helping to guide him being like, look, you need to work on your finishing. You need to work on some other things. Um, and when Ronaldo became 
this uh, in 2008 when he made that leap and he became all of a sudden this lethal finisher who got to the box and great with his head. Do you think it was Sir Alex Ferguson who was whipping crosses in with him after training so he can work on his headers? If anyone, it was probably Ali Gunnar Solskjaer because he was the strikers coach that year. Um, it, it's it kind of like to see Sir Alex teeing up balls like that, though. And like interesting that the one year that Ali Gunnar Solskjaer is your strikers coach, Ronaldo's goals go up from like 15 to 42, and then Solskjaer goes to the reserves, and Ronaldo's goal tally drops back down, only to pick back up again once he went to Spain. Well, part, I think part of that's because Ronaldo didn't give a shit that last year. Yeah, that, that's but it, this is kind of like the why, you know, in a, a lot of different areas of whether it's like if you're in school and you're like in band or choir or something, or if you're in sports, you know, the coach or the director or whatever will distinguish between the terms rehearsal and training or practice. Because when everyone is together and you know, for their session, it's not practice anymore because you're supposed to know your part and you're supposed to know, you know, what you contribute to make the whole thing fit together. It's rehearsal or it's training because at that point is where you're trying to make the, the big picture uh, become realized. So talking about practice, man. The other the other aspect of it is of why Rashford is the way he is right now. And and people say, well, he's burnt out and he's been injured and he's been playing through injuries. And I went back yesterday and I listened to the podcast that we did over the summer with Carl Anka, where we asked him about this because I wanted, you know, the perspective of not revisionism, but this is from how we were looking at it over the summer. And is like Rashford has to take some accountability here too, because as Carl said, that Marcus Rashford felt like I need to do what's best for my football club to win. And if I am the best, if me at 60% is the best player that my football club has, then I'm going to play. And if my club doesn't have somebody that can do the job better than me, I'm going to play. And he made himself available and he pushed himself through that. And and Carl very much said, this is not just a failure on Ali Gunnar Solskjaer's part. This is a failure above Ali Gunnar Solskjaer. It's a failure on the club that they didn't have anybody else. And that Mm -hmm. nobody at the club, and the, the, the quote that Carl said was, when really the best thing that you could do to help your football club win is someone at the club should have told him the best thing you could do is to go on the couch and take a nap. And just sit and rest. So you look like part of it's on him. Like we the amount of people that were just celebrating when Ragnick came out after the Burnley game and said, I didn't know until 2 2 p.m. this afternoon that McTominay would be fit to play. McTominay was like, I couldn't even walk this morning. And it was like, yeah, his foot was that bad. And it was like he played and we celebrated that. And the people that were criticizing Cavani because – whatever game it was uh newcastle where he was supposed to start and they said i'm not fit enough to start so you didn't I'm like that's what you need to do like there's players like cavani and there's players like paul pogba who are just like and, and anthony Martial, who are like i'm not fit enough 
so I'm not going to play. And they get ridiculed. Whereas Marcus Rashford, and frankly, Harry Maguire does it too, and um, he gets destroyed, even though, yeah, he makes him, he plays through the pain barrier all the time. Rashford makes himself available, does not say, no, I, I'm too hurt, I can't do this. Instead, he plays and wears himself down, and then it becomes everybody else's fault. There has to be some accountability, like, for all these things. And that doesn't mean... Everybody seems to be saying that, like, the blame game now is all or nothing. And it's not. It, it's not you're either at fault or you're not. It's for all these things. Marcus Rashford has to look in the mirror, but also, yes, Ali Gunnar Solskjaer is at fault. He let him down big time. He did not develop him well. Yeah. Neither did Jose Mourinho. The club let him down. That's, that's right there. That's four different entities. All four are at fault. It, it's not a an even 25-25-25 split either. But all four of them have parts of blame that need to go around. But, and like this trash article was just about absolving Marcus Rashford of all blame and putting it all onto one person. But this is part of what the overall vision of ideally, you know, the overall vision of bringing in Ragnik is about. Because there's never really been the structure in place at the club other, you know, apart from whoever is the head man in charge. I think, you know, right now he's bringing in some of his own people and I don't think many of them are on more than six month contracts like him, but bringing in someone who realizes what it takes to develop a club as a whole from top to bottom is going to be really important for this club in the long term, I think. And it is probably, you know, worth sitting through a couple boring matches as he gets things going. Right. And I mean, it's look, it's it's not just Rashford, like the club let Martial down. They're in the process of letting down Mason Greenwood, who might be the target of all these Ronaldo comments. <laughs> um, I, all the pictures of the two of them together are really funny. They're so it funny. Looks like, it looks like Greenwood does not want anything to do with it. And it just right. makes me like Mason Greenwood more. <laughs> um, the, the club has let them down. Like Brent brought this up the other night where we were talking about it in the Slack channel. Of like, it's like, when was the last time we really developed a young player? And not just that, but like, when was, but like, when was the last time we, and well, Brent even said, like we underdeveloped him. It's like, he's been at, he's been here for five years. He still doesn't know where to freaking stand on the pitch. Um, when was the last time we fully developed a young signing? And like we just listed like all these young signings that we made that that didn't work out. It, it's a failure on the club. And like that that's that's what I'm saying. Like for Simon Stone to just be like, oh, this is completely all again our soul stars fault. And it's like, all right, but like Rashford predated him, and it's it's not like Rashford was this 30 goal scorer and, and Solstar went, no, nah, I'm gonna stick you on the wing and just just try to shoot from outside the box. Like he very much was involved in the in the coaching of him like he Simon Stone himself has reported that like Solskjaer was working with the strikers and and working on their finishing etc but you've got you have to put in the work the club let him down his previous coaches let him down Solskjaer certainly did let him down too but like this has been a long standing issue at the club Um, 
All right. I think that is going to have to do it for us because um, I've got a dog asking for dinner who is about to show up on the recording at some point. Um, we'll be back sometime we next week. We, you know, we probably do. Um, but you're the meme master, and there's plenty of content there where we can go into. Yeah, that would help in the, the dog, vibes, I think. In a dog cute content. dog direction. Yeah, if we go on a losing streak, let's just break out some cute dogs. Um, hey, if you're Twitter a fan of the, of the Manchester United podcast uh, put together by the Busby Babe here, and you're still listening at this point, and you like dogs, and you have a dog, send us a picture of your dog. We'll retweet it. <laughs> yeah, tweet, tweet us a picture of your dog. Yeah, um, we like dogs. Pro dogs. Or cat. I like cats. Yeah. Pro pro animals, you know. Um, yeah, reptiles. I mean, that's cool. <laughs> All right. So United play Aston Villa Saturday. Uh, next week they play. We're going up against Felipe Coutinho and uh, Luca Digne now. That's right. And um, I was wrong about John McGinn being suspended. Uh, that did not go into effect for the FA Cup, so he's going to be suspended for the Premier League game. But so is McTominay. Both Scottish guys. Yeah, let's just not play midfielders. Like, neither team. Just make a gentleman's agreement. Oh, uh, we get our rescheduled match against Brentford, so that'll be fun because uh, they're organized and are actually, you know, good. They've been bad recently, but, like, yeah, they'll probably beat us. Yeah. And then... Oh, oh wait, that's not February. Never mind. <laughs> I saw um, I saw City, Tottenham, Atletico, and Liverpool pop up, and I was like, holy shit, we're in for it. That is March though, so we still got another month to. Oh, get those are March's together. problems. Yeah, we're. Fine. Yeah, that's there's that's problems. there's basketball to distract us in March. Yeah, yeah. ECU baby. Yeah, but uh, yeah, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>